Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying reading and listening. I am exhausted today. I was uh, did a little bit of programming yesterday, but I spent most of my time at the console checking all of my different timelines and just seeing all of the red images from around the United States, North America in general. I even saw a couple of people from, uh, from over the pond chiming in and posting their red photos. It lifted my spirits. It made me feel so wonderful. It hit me right in the heart. I had a, a, fu- a couple times where I was uh, on the escalator watching uh, my timeline and I, I, I just had a moment where I think that maybe people in other professions, they have their, their coworkers and then they go home and they hang out with their friends and they don't think about their coworkers anymore. I feel like our industry is not that. I had a moment where I re- realized that all of my friends are my coworkers in my industry. Uh, everybody on my Facebook is somebody who I've either worked with or met through our industry. And I, I've never realized that we are a huge global network family conglomerate. We are, we're a team. We're a force that, that can be reckoned with. We are, uh, we're an industry of friends and colleagues. And it really made me feel like, oh my God, without our industry, I'm, I'm even more friendless than I am right now. It's, it's, uh, it's scary. And it was, it was great to see the solidarity that our industry can generate. So I, uh, I want to take a day to, to kind of reflect on that because we're, we're not, we don't all work for the same company. We're, we're not all co-workers in that regard, but we are all, we're freelancers that have all come together based on our, our passion for entertainment and emotion. So I, I decided to reach out to a, a very new friend of mine today. Her name is Sammy Ross. She's a lighting designer out of New York City. And I know that uh, she shares this sentiment with me. So thank you so much for making the time to sit with me today, Sammy. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. My timeline was uh, 99% red yesterday. It was, it was red photo, red photo, red photo, advertisement, red photo, red photo, red photo. Did you get to experience the same thing? Yes. I thought it was really neat to kind of see that solidarity. And it made me realize just how many people in my community this event was really important for. You know, like seeing all of the red in our screens, I think meant that we are all in this together. We are all trying to get by while our industry is shut down. 
And I really like that there was a visual representation to what we're going through right now. Yeah, the, uh, the, all the organizers of that uh, deserve a huge applause and, and a thank you and a heartfelt gratitude from all of us. That was, it was huge. It, it really resonated with the, I have to say the entire industry. I, I don't know if I saw anybody that I know who didn't post something, even if it was uh, turning their, their front porch red. That was, that's every little bit helps. I really liked that. Actually. I liked the individual people who turned their windows, you know, their windows red and things of that nature. They turned their whole garage door red. I thought that was actually almost more meaningful because they're, you know, they don't have the equipment that other rental houses do. They're just kind of doing it and throwing some red gel they have in their backpack on some lamps <laughs> in their house. And I really like that. Yeah. Turning the Empire State Building is equally meaningful to turning, mm -hmm. uh, to cutting some gel, some R, uh, R26 and changing okay. your lawn red. Uh, if anybody has to uh, a design choice that maybe my R26 wasn't the right just color, feel free to send me an email on that one of what, uh, what color would be the proper gel. I'm a GAM 250 kind of gal, but you know. <laughs> mm, good choice. Good choice. <laughs> So the thing that I wanted to learn more from you about is freelancing during COVID. Yes. I know that that is the, that is the situation for a vast majority. We, we have our fair share of, uh, of employed workers, but we're a team of pirates and we're, we're so freelance. How is that working out for you in general and the people around you as a whole? Well, I mean, I haven't seen work <laughs> in many months. And I think that's actually why I started a podcast because I was sitting at home and I mean, you freelance as well. We, or you have in the past, certainly yeah. we can't sit still. We're an industry of people who literally thrive on, okay, we have two minutes to do this thing. Let's, let's hurry up and make magic happen. And then I was sitting in my New York city apartment for five months now and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. So I found art in other mediums. We are not the type to sit still. We are the work 80 hours a week and, and pride ourselves on it for, for better, for worse. That's a, that's, right. something, <laughs> that's something that we do, especially a younger version of us. We're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's work until we drop. And Yes. Wow. And, you know, we're a collaborative, we're collaborative folks, right? We don't do anything in a vacuum. So I think, I don't know, I'm missing that. Certainly I'm missing the collaboration you were talking about earlier about how we are all connected, right? Like we do work with our friends because I think we work so hard that why wouldn't we want to work with people that we enjoy spending time with since we're going to be spending 80 hours a week with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine, one of his favorite quotes is whenever somebody asks him which tour he would want to be on or uh, what's his favorite tour he's ever been on, it's always been well, the, the tours with my friends. That, that's Absolutely. what sets them apart for us. You know? Yeah, those are the memories we make, right? And I think, so right now, to answer your question, there hasn't been work. I think that's really what it is, is for yeah. freelancers, 
I'm sure I'm not the only one. I work in live television, I work in events, and I work in theater as well. And there, I mean, it's been said, of course, in our industry, we were the first to close and we're going to be the last to reopen. So yeah. it's been dead silence. My email has never been cleaner. <laughs> and, you know, it's been a waiting game, which is stressful at a time when we just lost our pandemic unemployment. So living in New York City is a very expensive city, as a lot of us know. And a lot of us live in expensive cities because that's where our industry is. Mm-hmm. And we're all sitting here going, what are we going to do? So I think it's, it's been a scary time. I know that at the beginning, I was certainly more like depressed and anxious than I am now, which is good. But like, honestly, losing your job like that overnight is not something to be taken lightly. No, it's not. It's a really big, in fact, for a lot of people, it's not only our job and our friendships as as we talk about, but it's also their identity, Mm -hmm. you know, to go from being Sammy Ross, the lighting designer for the uh, premiere of the walking dead to being Sammy Ross, the, the podcaster. It's, it's strange. It's part of our identity, you know. Like I, I'm the same. I, like Chris Lowe's the podcaster. Never, never heard of the guy. Who would? <laughs> Who's that? Who, who, who needs? Who needs to hear from Chris Lowe's? Who needs? <laughs> you know. Yes, I, I had to do a little bio because I was actually on a friend of mine's podcast called Artistic Finance, which I'll give a shout out to because I think. Um, Ethan Steinmal, who's the the host of that, is doing really good work in terms of okay. bringing, he's bringing to light a lot of why sometimes a lot of us in the industry are poor, especially if we work in theater, why the arts doesn't get enough funding and things of that nature. He's going into a little bit more about like equity and equality, things of that. So I really, I like what he's doing, but it's mostly about um, art and finance, which is cool. And That's I so need important. to- So important. So I did- I actually was a guest on his podcast for Red Alert Restart, which I thought was super cool. We got to talk about that a bit, but he asked me to do a a bio for him. And I wrote down that I was a lighting designer and I really, I had to ask myself out loud. I was like, am I still a lighting designer? I haven't designed anything in a while. (laughs) So it is, it's it's almost an identity crisis of, I haven't been, you know, in a, in any venue in five months. It's like, am I still who I think I am? And I know I'm not the only one who's going through, you know, and asking ourselves these questions right now. I can't, I'm not the only one. I I have a lot of friends right now who are really wondering what we're doing and who we are and how we're going to make it through this, which, you know, is scary. Wow. That is kind of existential there. It's like, man, Uh I, I am Sammy, the lighting designer. I, I, I don't have any evidence to back that up right now. (laughs) Right now. (laughs) I, I, I know that I'm Sammy, the lighting designer. Well, you're as good as your last gig, right? And when was that? <laughs> so. Oh, man. Yeah, by the time this is over, your resume will be out of date. You'll be like, oh, do you have anything from this year? I'm like, no. Yeah, what do you do in 2020? Um, I sat at home and, you know, wore a mask a lot. Yeah. yeah uh, you can visit uh, thisisnotahandout.com. That's that. You can go look at, you can go listen to what I was up to. I mean, it's, it's all well documented now. <laughs> yes. At least I did something, you know, like my, I never, I never took a gap year before college, but I guess this is my not chosen gap year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I guess if you were very clever, you could say you were on sabbatical or something. Like I was uh, taking time off for reflection. Or... Oh, that's yes, that would be fancy of me. Sure, that would be very fancy. <laughs> I don't think I'm in that economic standpoint to just like go on sabbatical. <laughs> but that'd be nice. <laughs> that'd be really no, nice. I'd write a book. Yeah, I'd definitely. You know, write a novel on a beach somewhere. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> So the, the, one of the things about being freelance is we just don't have a team of people backing us up. You know, when you're an employee, mm. you have an HR department, you probably have a, a board of directors or something. You have a, a whole bunch of people that are, have a collective uh, interest to keep that company alive. As a freelancer, we are, we are the HR team. We're the president. We're the CEO. We're the, mm-hmm. you know, the financier. We're everything. And our voice is just one. So when we need things to happen as a freelancer, it's just we get tossed to the bottom of the pile. Uh, what sort of, what sort of uh, recourse do we have as freelancers other than go out and make a huge stink about lighting the, lighting the town red? Well... I think there's something to be said about, although we're freelancers and we're individuals, we're still part of a community. True. And, all, you know, like not everyone certainly is part of a union, but I know the unions are making a big stink about this. And I think that's really important too, because they represent the collective, which for a lot of unions for us are the individuals, which I think is interesting. So I think there's always a collective. And I always think that even if you are just one person, your voice can be heard. I'm a big advocate of you really want your voice heard, go out there and make it happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you really want to write your, if you really want to write your representatives, I highly recommend that you do so. And people go, well, what does that do? Well, honestly, from what I understand, you writing a letter individually to people, which is easier than ever to do, you can do it on apps now. It, it doesn't have to be a formal yeah. letter that you do. I think there's something called resist bot. Yeah. Where literally you could just type into them and they, they message your representatives for you and they figure out who they even are by just your zip code, which I think is fabulous. Yeah. So you writing your own letter actually has more impact potentially than you signing a petition because if every single person in our industry wrote a letter that was unique and their own voice, think of how much mail and email and, you know, voicemails that that would be for those representatives and it would eight, one person can add up to a lot of people making an impact. Yeah. Even if we don't have an actual HR department, we can generate one quickly. Thanks to the internet. We can, uh, things like the the app you said, or the action network. It's Mm -hmm. really, really easy. There's a lot of like copy and paste, uh, email services out there that you can, you can generate something and then you can personalize it. Uh, I did it for red alert restart and I got a, a response within two, three days and it was, I mean, it was obviously a formal letter that they were sending to lots of people, sure. but there's, they keep records of that. They see that like, oh my God, I had to send 10,000 responses to this red alert research. Maybe it's something I should look into. Mm-hmm. And guess I, what? We are tax paying citizens, right? Like yeah. my tax goes to our representatives. They represent us. So make sure that they're representing us. Make sure they're yeah. actually doing what we want them to do. Yeah, I think the the digital public forum is does exist and they they do pay attention we hope eventually they you know you really have to be disruptive to get uh, senators to do things these days you have to really let them know 
it's not just a you can't just go knock on your senator's or governor's door anymore you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta really make them aware of your plight online and all that so. i absolutely agree i also think though this time of pause is interesting as freelancers because we we can come together and sort of say right now, I don't know about communities that you're listening to, but the communities that I'm listening to are really starting to talk about equity and equality in our communities. How we can be, you know, how can, how can we be less white? Let's be honest. Like, how can we be more colorful? How can we be more representative of different peoples and people, different voices? And how can we get paid appropriately? I think that's also really important. And so I think even though, again, we're individuals and it is hard when you are the only one, I know it's hard when I have to look at that contract and I have to advocate for myself. It's definitely hard. Yeah. No one backing me, but me. But I think it's interesting in this big pause right now where we're not constantly going from gig to gig that we can collectively come together and say, wait, these hours are atrocious. These, you know, these safety protocols aren't what I want we aren't representing a ethically you know a racially diverse group of people why is that and i think those are all really interesting topics that's happening right now and i'm excited in fact to see where that goes because again it's about the individual voices becoming a collective and now that we're becoming a collective we can say wow this isn't the way that i want our industry to even be mm-hmm. yeah and you mentioned it uh, a little earlier but even as freelancers, we still rely on unions to be having that power. I'm not a member of the union at all, but I fully support the unions because even though I'm not a member, I'm still part of the collective battle to keep wages up and keep working hours reasonable. Mm -hmm. Just like you said, when you're sending that, that deal memo on your own, without a union representative or a, a collective mm-hmm. force behind you, you're, you're taking a, a huge risk, you know? Uh, Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because unions do permeate more in certain cities, I'll say, than we think. I know I used to live in LA for five years and the unions there because of their, because it's really a union town, mm-hmm. even the non-union work, more or less followed union rules even though they didn't have to that wasn't a policy of theirs right because that's sort of how the industry works over there and of course not not every place does that but a lot of the big venues follow it regardless whether they're union or not and i really enjoyed that right because we sort of reap the benefits actually from the hard work that the unions do and i will Mm -hmm. say i'm actually i am an 829 usa 829 which is part of iatsi i don't honestly do a lot of work in the union Right now, I, I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of independent work, which they mm-hmm. allow me to do, but and a lot of non-union work. But I do greatly believe in them. I'm happy to pay my dues to them, and especially during COVID, I've never been prouder to be a union member because they are constantly advocating for us in Washington. Which you're right, as an individual, is harder than the union going, "Hey, we really need PUA. We really need." the PPP loans back. We really need these things for our industry and they're fighting the good fight. And I'm very proud of that. Yeah. I, uh, I send all my love and support to all the union brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm, I know 
And I would never deny that I benefit from the existence of the unions because even non-union companies, they have to abide by those rules because they know that one slip up and the unions are, will come in and, and start to making some changes. So, yeah, start making waves, right? Yeah. I didn't know how to say that any, any more politely, you know? <laughs> I think it's okay to make waves. I think yeah. we need to get away from being meek and quiet and just saying yes all the time. I think that's part of the problem, sort of. You know, oh, is, is sometimes <laughs> I know. Well, that's that's a great way to say. It. Welcome to chatting with me. Yeah. <laughs> but I do. I think we need to stick up. You know, I'm. I have a friend whose younger sister is still in college, and she is just starting out. She wants to work in the news industry, and I wish her luck certainly. And she taught, you know, we chatted for a bit. She was like, oh, can I, you know, what do you mind if I talk to you? Because you work in the news as well. I was like, absolutely. And I told Zulmike, listen, the news is a hard industry. There are a lot of producers out there who are mean and who are going to yell at you. And there are a lot of directors who are going to yell at you. And you know what? I just don't think you need to take that. And I think that's hard to do. And that's scary to stand up for yourself. But I do think we need to start doing that more. How many times have you had a client that's just awful? Not that they're like, you know, they're, that they're picky and they're this and that because that's clients. That's fine. I'm happy to accommodate. But how many times do you have a client that's really saying things that are atrocious and no one says anything? Yeah. And you're afraid of getting fired, of course. And you're of afraid course. of not getting paid because you have bills to pay, right? You have, you know, a family to support perhaps. And, you know, it is scary, but I think... I think in order to make this industry better, we have to start advocating, not just for ourselves, but for others. And I think this potentially can be a real time of change. So. Oh, so true. We have so, we have such a louder voice, even as individuals now, thanks to the internet and and Mm. video and, you know, we don't have to accept the status quo anymore. We can, we have the ability to get are like I could uh, I could do a post right now and it could be in Sydney Australia in seconds you know mm-hmm. my voice goes far and wide now we have that ability to make changes we go like, hey my boss yelled at me and I have footage of it and say what you will about cancel culture but if somebody's being abusive you got to get them out of there that's that's not acceptable anymore of course, and there's, of course, a fine line, right? Because you can't just trash every, every person that you disagree with, which is different. But yes, I think where there's sometimes in the past been a culture of abuse, I don't think we need that anymore. And I think the more I've paused and been out of this industry for a moment, the more I'm like, you know what? I just, I can't go back to it with the same eyes. You know, I can't go back to it with the same voice. I need to be even louder than I have been. And because <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, I mean, I would like to say that I love protecting my people, but uh-huh. I think it's more than that now. You know, we need to make sure that this doesn't happen to future people because that's not okay either. Yeah. I'm starting to see a change in work conditions. And I'll never say that they were, you know, horrible. But we had some working situations in our industry where we were encouraged to work far more hours than was safe. And, and yes. it, 
and, and sometimes we do it willingly and sometimes we sometimes we don't sometimes it's like well i really 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 need you to just keep working you know like well you didn't plan this very well and it, it's not my it's not my fault uh, you know yes and i always like to say that we're not saving babies you know yeah, we know. you know if you are fortunate enough to be someone who is actually saving lives and you need to work that extra hour, yes, that sucks, but man, are you actually saving people? That's incredible. Mm -hmm. We are putting on shows and performances which are beautiful and they're artful and they're impactful, but you know, we are not making life-saving changes here. We are allowed to go home. You know? yeah. <laughs> we are allowed to get a rest. We are allowed to come back and put on the best show that we can. And I think sometimes, people take us for granted because they know that we're passionate about what we do. No one gets into this industry because they're like, wow, this is something that I never thought I would do, but all of a sudden I'm here and I hate it. <laughs> you know? I I've never heard that. I never, not I once have I heard that. And I hate it, but I'm still here. And you're like, no, no one ever says that. People are like, I love what I do. <laughs> but I think because we love what we do, people take that and they say, okay, well then you're going to work this 18 hour day because you're right. Like we might've messed up on our timeline or things got pushed back and things happened. And, you know, I don't know that the show is more important than, than our health, than our well-being. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, people, we should start having those conversations too and thinking about that. I know in the theater community specifically, some people or some theaters, I should say, are doing away with 10 out of 12s because it's just too much. Why does it need to be that way? It's not that way necessarily in other countries. And you just start to think about that and you start to think about, I know I've been thinking about all of the things that I've missed, like people miss weddings once mm -hmm. in a lifetime, potentially right opportunities for you to celebrate your friends and your loved ones and we in our industry miss them all the time because we have a show to do. And I just, I don't know if that's something that, that that's the kind of culture that I wish to walk back into. Mm -hmm. I think we can create a better culture in our industry. And I think, I think being unemployed for so long has really allowed me and others to really start having those hard conversations and what they mean and how we can change our industry for the better. Because changing our industry, I think we do beautiful work and I think we do beautiful things, but at what expense? Yeah. Uh, you kind of touched on it. We didn't get into this industry for the money and it definitely wasn't for the health benefits. No. We got into this industry because of our passion and our, our, our need to entertain people and, and to make pretty pictures. And it, it doesn't come with a good healthcare program. Being a roadie, being a, an LD, being a freelancer doesn't come with a good 401k package. Nope. So those are all things we have to create for ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. So you were saying that we, we, because of that, we really have to be hyper aware of our own health and safety. Uh, and right now, without an income, it, having healthcare is extremely difficult, especially in North America. Yeah, you know, I've seen... A lot of my friends, I wasn't surprised when the pandemic unemployment went away. I was hoping that it wouldn't, of course, go away. Course. 
but I did financially plan because I'm that person with like an Excel spreadsheet because I freelance and I have all of my money in, all my money out. But I planned for it to go down to the normal unemployment amount, which again, for a lot of people in big cities, which a lot of us live in, isn't necessarily uh, attainable or affordable. And I just saw a lot of my friends on social media post like 30 days before, you know, 15 days before that it ran out or when it, once it had run out, they're like, wow, I didn't plan for that. And I think that's very scary. You know, like I didn't plan for that. And where does that leave them? And I just, it's a problem, you know, we need a lot of help. And I think that although we're freelancers because we like the opportunity that affords us, I don't know that necessarily, I don't know if I, I mean, I, I wouldn't change it because I've had full-time jobs and I can't do them. I'm not, I'm not a good nine to fiver. I'm just, I'm not that human, but I wonder if there's a way for us to be better informed you know, about um, our rights as freelancers and, you know, our finances, because we're not very good at finance all the time either as freelancers, because it's hard. How can you be, like you were saying earlier, the CEO and, you know, and the CFO and, you know, the billing person and all these things, you know, what if you're not good at writing contracts? What do you do about that? So yeah, it's hard. What if you don't even know anybody who's good at writing contracts? You know, you just got into this because you wanted to light people and do rock mm-hmm. and roll or do shows, you know? Absolutely. I'm not very good at taxes. I have really good Excel spreadsheets, but at least I have someone to do that for me because I work in different states. You know, I work in different yeah. places, different venues all the time. I have both W2 and 1099 work and there's multiple of those. You're like, how do you... <laughs> I'm incorporated. So you're like, how do you deal with the business side of this? And how do you deal with the personal side of this? And how do you, it's just a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to handle when you're right. All I really want to do is play with lights. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to make lights do. blink. That's it. I, That's what I, I got into this for. I just want to make pretty pictures with lights. And I end up doing as most of us do a lot more work than that. Yeah. And I happen to like finance and I happen to like the business management side of things, which I think has led me to more successful ventures on the business side of our industry of like writing those contracts and, you know, crossing out those contracts when I'm like, "Mm, that's not a thing that I'm going to sign. I know a lot of us, but really a lot of us just sign them and they shouldn't, they should really be read over, but we also can't afford a lawyer to read them for us. So, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, and a lot of baggage, I, good baggage, but you know, a lot of it. I, I think I do pretty good at reading uh, deal memos. I'm terrible at reading NDAs because those mm. don't make any sense to me. And I, I'd like to think that if I ever sign an NDA, I just clam up completely because I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they mean. It's hard. It's hard to read lawyer speak is what I call it yeah. right? because they make it complicated. And why I had a contract earlier this year, pre COVID that I actually didn't sign the full NDA. I did cross some things out because their wording was so vague that I read it as if you ever work with our clients at all ever in the future, you're not allowed to because you've now worked for us and you need to go through us to approve that. And it was something, I mean, obviously the language is very different than that, but that sort of was the yeah. basis. It's like, you can never work with their clients in the future ever. And I was like, that's crazy to me because 
because how do you do that? I don't even know who your clients are. <laughs> like, I know who this one client is. And like, I get what you're saying that you don't want me to steal your client, even though I'm a third party person and your company actually doesn't do what I do. If that makes uh, sense, like they weren't a lighting company. Right. They were just the company that was hiring me to do the job as lighting designer. So I'm like, A, you don't do what I do. So we're not actually in a conflict of interest. But B, I don't even know your roster of clientele. So I'm not signing this part of it. Right. And I think a lot of people do just sign it being like, oh, whatever. I won't talk about this gig because that's normally what an NDA is. But when they're like 10 pages long and I'm like, no, this is nonsense. <laughs> Yeah. And 99.9% .9 of the time, it's going to mean nothing. It's nothing's ever going to come of it. But the one time something comes of it, you're going to be, wait, what do you mean? I can't work for this. I mean, I just signed a deal for six months mm -hmm. of work. They're like, Oh, sorry. You signed this NDA Yeah, that says you can't, that's our client. And you, you took them like, no, I, I didn't even know this was your client. How, sorry. But you signed, signed it. NDA. Or, uh, you know, oh, it looks like you checked in online at this event. Uh, that's against your NDA. Like, what? Mm -hmm. I was just trying to generate attention for this event that's happening. You know, I did it right, right before doors. You know, like, oh, sorry, violated your NDA. Yeah. Avoid your contract. What? Yeah. 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 And it's so. probably not going to happen, but it, you know, you never know. Well, you never know because you were signing it and... America's nothing but a litigious society. So <laughs> two thirds of the founding fathers were lawyers. So it's baked right in. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, as freelancers, I definitely recommend reading those things and asking those questions and don't just side them. So, you know, I've made some interesting deals too, where I'm like, you know what? you want to pay everything at the end, but I don't want to. I'd like half up front because that seems reasonable to me. And people look at me and they go, when they find that out, like, you know, people I'm working with on shows and they're like, wow, you actually like advocated for yourself that way. I'm like, heck yes, I did. What are they going to say? No. Then you're like, okay, I'm back where I started. Oh man. Good for you. That's, that's exactly the, the level of business professionalism that we need to attack this with now. It's, but it's uh, hard and I, I don't think it's easy. And I will say, you know, especially as a woman in this industry, when I was younger, I would have never done that. It, you know, especially it's hard because you don't think you'll get asked back. There's a lot of bias still, I think, you know, against women in this industry. And I think it's getting better, but yeah. I don't know that I would have made those waves. And now I'm sort of like, you know what, maybe I can make these waves and maybe those waves A will help me, but B, maybe they can help people in the future, which yep. I think would be kind of neat. So, you know. Not to get too much into the gender differences, but I, I don't think that I'm immune to that either. I was uh, a much younger than younger Chris than me was, was the one that proud, prided myself on not making waves, being the, I can do anything. Uh, of course I'll work 90 hours a week. I, cause I want to prove myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, that shouldn't be what it takes to prove yourself. You should do a great job for the 40, 50 ish hours a week that you work, but yeah. 90 hour work weeks, that's, you shouldn't have to do that to prove yourself anymore. How many times I'll question you this, Chris, how many times when you were younger, Chris, did you get hurt on show site? Not you know, necessarily in a major way, but enough that you probably should have said something and you didn't because you were nervous about getting kicked off that show site and never working again. Cause I know I have, I can think of at least two times that that's happened where I, you know, had to call in a, like a rock doctor and I had, 
and in private in absolute silence like hey look i'm hurting and then i showed the doctor what was going on and the doctor went like yeah that's gross you should see a doctor and (laughs) like not work tomorrow and and deal with that and like uh i can't do that so i just you know sucked it up in silence and that's not the best way no and who does that really help it doesn't help you it doesn't even necessarily help you on show site either because you're not your best self either. Yeah. But we also, as freelancers, aren't afforded the luxury of having enough crew on show site or an expendable you to not show mm-hmm. up that day, right? We don't really operate that way. It's either you or someone's down a crew member, someone's down an LD. And what do we do about that? So we don't really run and that actually includes corporations too actually in america is we don't run we run on bare minimums mm-hmm. all across yeah. the board freelance and you know large corporations yeah. included and that's not the way that it is elsewhere so yeah it doesn't have to be that way it no. it does it is a semi-functioning system but it doesn't have to be that it can be better we it can, can be better i think that's that's my takeaway from covid yeah we can be better and I wish yeah. for us to be better. So let's figure out how to make that happen. I recently discovered there's a term for that. It's called ameliorate. Ameliorate is somebody who always thinks that things can be a little bit better. Hmm. I like that. I will start using that. I'm, a, I'm an ameliorate. I learned that from a book the other day. I like that a lot. Yeah. Meliora- ameliorists. We're meliorists. Ameliorists. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that drew me to wanting to have a conversation with you was listening to your podcast, which is at, this is not a handout.com, mm-hmm. which resonated with me because I'm one of those people that used to think that unemployment, welfare, uh, universal healthcare, I used to think that that was a handout. I grew up mm. in a, a fairly affluent uh, neighborhood and we were taught that if you work hard, you get the things that come to you and pandemic included and slightly uh, more education before that. I have realized that that is, that was a false belief. Mm, Indeed. Now a much older me is like, that's my money. (laughs) Yes. I I gave it to you because I, I believe in, a, a, a certain amount of government and I feel like maybe you can do some good with that money but right now I need that money and I want yes. it back yeah it's not a handout it's like I gave it to you for self keep for safekeeping now yes. give it back it's an investment to your future self so for those who don't know what Chris is talking about unemployment just real quick you pay into that is, is the bottom line of it is that if you're an yeah. employee at all throughout your life in this country, you pay into unemployment. It just because it's not on your pay stub, like social security is, doesn't mean you're not paying into it. Both your employer mm-hmm. and you, in fact, are paying into it, are paying into it. So yes, absolutely not a handout. So yes, that is actually how I got to my podcast name of this is not a handout. Cause I think I was getting sick and tired of hearing a lot of my friends actually specifically during this time frame, call me up and go, Sammy, I don't want to take this money. This money feels dirty to me. This money doesn't feel right. You know, I, I'm, I'm just, I don't, doesn't sit right with me. What do I do? Should I take this money? I'm like, well, can you pay your rent? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, A, take the money to pay your rent. But B, 
it's not a handout because you've been paying into it for X amount of years and now you are collecting on your insurance policy. It's called unemployment insurance for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's an insurance policy yeah. like, like everything else. So yes, does it, is it, again, I think because we are such hard workers, specifically in entertainment, we don't mm-hmm. want to take what we perceive as a handout, but is in fact not a handout. Right. And if we want to get really more into the weeds of economics of it, I don't even think the pandemic unemployment, although more of a handout, if you will, because it's not, we do not pay into it. We are A, going to pay it back in taxes is what I believe is going to happen eventually. But B, it's actually so that we don't default on our homes and things of that nature. So the fact that they want to stimulate the economy, that's how they're doing it. They actually want us to buy things right. so that we can keep capitalism alive and well. So I would even feel bad about the extra $600. I, I don't, it's just not something that I think that we should feel bad about because they're giving it to us, not because they're benevolent overlords, but because they really want us to buy that new TV or that new thing. And they want us to pay our rent so that we don't default so that those property taxes can actually go towards the city and all of those things. So that the world can continue to turn in, in our society. So yeah, that's a little bit on that. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's exactly what I was listening to in your podcast. That makes so much sense. That $600 is so much better spent by me than by anybody else I can think of. I, you know, I, I'm going to spend that $600 so much better than, uh, than Jeff Bezos, I would imagine, you know, just to throw that out there uh, as an and, example. Yeah, well, he doesn't need it, certainly. He, he definitely but, doesn't need it. No, but also that money, even if you're saving it, I would say, good for you. Like, you know, that money will be spent eventually because that's sort of how it works. I know that for me personally, I have a lot of student loans and other things. So I haven't even had the luxury of spending it on the things. I'm spending it on my student loans so I don't default on those. I'm spending it on rent so I can stay in New York. You know, I'm spending it on necessities. So the fact that I'm, you know, that I'm not one of the people that has to leave their apartment in New York City right now and then have the landlords figure it out, I guess is helping the government, I, I think. Wow. Yeah. I think it helps. I think every person here who's in the United States spending money in their community is helping whether they know it or not. That just generating commerce is helping. Absolutely Uh, helping for sure. Just money transferring hands from one to another is that it's just helping. That's what we do to, to each other to help out is, you know, take money from one place take it to another mm-hmm. and generate interaction. That's Move money how we're helping. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things that has really come to light is just how bad the unemployment system is. Mm-hmm. And obviously I can't speak for all states. Some of them are doing better than others, but a lot of us have been conditioned to think that we should vote against uh, a, a more robust safety net system Mm -hmm. until we're the ones that need it. And then we're like, then we're like, Oh my God, this system sucks. Why have I been voting against this for so long? Mm -hmm. It's a glaring, please. uh, I mean, I have thoughts on that about who are the people speaking up 
I think that they're the wealthy, right? They're the people who don't necessarily want our taxes to go up and then be taxed more potentially. And maybe that's not a fair assessment, but I think that for a long time, why aren't we educated on taxes in public school systems? Why aren't we educated about the fact that unemployment insurance is not a handout? Why are we made to feel guilty for a lot of these things in society that we want, like universal health care? Why are we so against ourselves that most of America, most of, you know, most of us think that health insurance via universal health care would be more expensive when, you know, if you actually look up the numbers, most people in America would be spending far less. Not yeah. everyone, of course, so I don't wish to make that broad statement, but most people would. Yeah. And specifically lower income people who sometimes in, you know, in parts of America are the loudest about how we cannot be socialist. So I think mm -hmm. where are they getting information from? Who's telling them these things? And I think that's, that's also why I started this podcast because I just want people at least to be better informed about yeah. what they're being so loud about or potentially misinformed about. Because if you still believe that socialism is terrible, that's an opinion that you can have, but I just want you to know why you think socialism is terrible. Cause yeah. I don't think everyone knows. I don't think they think it's a dirty word. And I, I just, I don't think so anymore. The more I research, the more I'm like, there's a lot of countries, most of South America, most of Europe that Canada, right. Yeah. That have, socialist um, parts of government that are socialist, including yeah. their health and things. And, you know, and why can't we have that too? So I, I want to, I don't know if I'm going to misquote Noam Chomsky here, but it was, uh, he says, we should be privatizing the gains and socializing the losses. And basically the idea there is things like cell phones, there should absolutely be an open, free, nearly unfettered market for to generate competition to get the best cell phones the best technology available mm -hmm. that is where the free market thrives absolutely when it comes to things like the prison system mm -hmm. maybe we shouldn't privatizing this the, the prison system because now you're just encouraging criminals you, you need prisoners mm -hmm. so why are we allowing mm -hmm. Maybe that's not the best place for the free market to exist. I completely agree. Why are we allowing prison labor to work for penance to fight fires in California? Why are we allowing prison labor at all? Why are we allowing prison labor that isn't minimum wage? These yeah. are all questions that I think people should start asking themselves. So yes, yeah. I think that why are these things happening? And I think that's part of what I call like late stage capitalism, like a bad part of capitalism. Yeah. Cause I'm actually like for the free market. I really Absolutely. like capitalism. I think that it leads to really interesting innovations. I think a really interesting question to pose is why has America really created the, some of the biggest companies on the internet? Why did we create Google and Amazon and all of these things? And I think part of it is the fact that we are free market. We are capitalism and that we can create and invent in that way. I think capitalism can give us that free reign, mm -hmm. but also we've created some monsters along yeah. the way. Yeah. Including potentially free capitalism going too far, you know, and, and warehouse workers for Amazon being mistreated and things of that nature. So there is the good and the bad of like, I think that we are innovators and creators and we are yeah. afforded that opportunity in this country. And I love that. 
but how far does it go? See, that's exactly, I think we're on the same page there because as soon as you start applying those same principles to the healthcare system, it doesn't, it doesn't work the best. Like, yes, you're, you're creating a lot of innovation and technology around the healthcare system, but in order to pay for those, you have to generate sick people to, to use those things. And unfortunately, that's one of the things that capitalism is really good at right now is generating some sick people. Yes. And, you know, a lot of other countries, if we just get out of America for a minute, are looking at us and our healthcare bills potentially associated with COVID. And they think we're nuts. They feel bad for us. In fact, oh my God. other countries feel awful for us. They're like, what do you mean? Of course, my government's going to make sure that I don't have to pay you know, thousands of dollars in medical debt due to COVID. I'm going to be taken care of because I pay taxes into this, you know, universal healthcare plan. And, you know, and that's the way of it. And I just think, I think we need to expand our minds a little bit more on our systems and how they've developed and potentially how we can change them for the better. And I also think healthcare in particular needs to be human right. I, I yeah. think I think that's where capitalism and human rights don't really mix, and that's potentially where the social system comes in, because I, I don't think that we should be capitalizing on human lives. Agreed. I don't think that should be the way that we go about things. Yeah, I I had hoped that we had learned that earlier, but it hasn't uh, materialized quite yet. Not I, yet. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, in Canada, if I thought I had COVID, let's say I had uh, some back pains or just, just a, a persistent cough, I could go down and get it checked out for free and I could go home and I'm like, okay, well, I either have it or I don't. If I do have it, I, I know that I'm going to get the best available care regardless of my income. In the United States, if the same thing would happen, you, I would have to sit there and go like, man, can I afford a test? And if the answer is no, I just have to wait it out. Mm-hmm. And it, if I'd have gone down at week one, it probably would be some antibiotics, maybe a, a, a prescription, maybe, you know, isolate for 14 days. But if I wait till week four and I go in now, instead of just a simple bandaid to fix it, now I, I need uh, a tube down my throat. I need a ventilator and mm-hmm. a, I'm not a doctor. I'm, I please don't quote me on any of these things I'm saying, but Next thing you know, a, a, a $100 bill is now a $40,000 bill. And I just based on economics there. And now I'm, now I'm sick because I, and I, it was totally preventable. Yes. Yes. I think we are slowly moving towards more preventable or preventative medicine, which yes. is good, which actually was part of Obamacare, I want to say he sort of was like, well, you guys need to have preventative, at least annual exams. And, uh, yeah. you know, and that's, I think that's amazing. But why is that amazing? Shouldn't that just be a thing that we have? <laughs> because, <laughs> right, like, that, that's the thing. Like, I'm like, yeah, this is great. But like, really, why couldn't we have just had this? And I know for me personally, I am an Obamacare because I am a freelancer. And I don't, I'm not afforded other healthcare opportunities. But I still, because of my high deductible, don't want to go to the doctor ever. So that sucks too. You know, our deductibles are so high. And, and even though I'm so happy that I'm afforded Obamacare at all and that we as freelancers can be on a healthcare plan, which I think is great, a real step in the right direction. 
Mm-hmm. Why is my deductible $8,000? What is that about? <laughs> so, what are you, you know, being protected against? I don't... <laughs> And you know what? You know what the reality of it is, is I have healthcare because again, it's an insurance policy. God forbid, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, like I get COVID or something like that and I end up in the hospital. You need healthcare. That's the problem. You can't really go without it. So you're just playing into a plan that I'm never going to, I'm, I literally try to not go to doctors, which is stupid. I will say telemedicine is becoming interesting. That's huge. It's becoming really interesting because a lot of the times it's free. I don't always like all the doctors on there though, especially because they don't know you and some of Uh them are reluctant to, like, they're like, well, you have to go see a doctor. I'm like, but I can't afford a doctor. I can only afford you. So then it becomes this like, (laughs) (laughs) like you are free and part of my plan. And I understand (laughs) that you're mad about it maybe. And you're a doctor and you'd like to see your patients, which like, sure. (laughs) But I think there's a bigger issue here and it's not me. There's just a bunch of telemedicine doctors sitting there like, yeah, you should totally go see a doctor. I've, I've had that before where they're like, I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, this is a thing. Like, I, I, have, I get asthma attacks twice a year seasonally. It's, it sounds scarier than it is. It's a thing that happens because um, I have bad allergies, things of that. So I call up the telemedicine and said, hey, you know, I've been having trouble breathing for the past week and a half. You know, I, I've, I've had this since I was three years old can I please have the normal steroid medication that I normally take for this? And sometimes they're like, you need to see a doctor. <laughs> and I'm like, for what? <laughs> like, oh, it's just, man. it's, um, so it's, you know, it's a process, but ho- hopefully we can, we can get to better grounds. Hopefully we can look at other countries like Canada as an example of potentially actually a free and private market. You want to talk yes. about something that can work really well, give the people a free, like an actual government run market and Mm -hmm. then give them a private insurance option in case they want their favorite doctor or they want that surgery faster than everyone else. They can have it. Yep. The more I learn Uh, about that, the more I think that Biden's plan, although not my perfect ideal plan is actually an interesting one because actually mm -hmm. it wasn't for the private market until I really looked into other countries. Mm -hmm. And I promise because like healthcare you know, private health insurance is going to say, well, we can't have that because we would die. You will not right. die. You'll reinvent. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm not worried about you. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about a corporation at all. <laughs> I'm worried about people who are getting sick. Yeah, they'll be fine. They'll be uh, fine. They'll find uh, a way to make money, I promise. On a, on a micro level, Hong Kong is the perfect example of they have exactly the functioning system you're talking about where there's a public mm-hmm. option and a private option, whereas everybody gets taken care of. Mm-hmm. But should you be more privileged than others or should you have a little extra money? You can bypass the line and you can be like, yeah, no, I need, I need a knee surgery today. Yeah. And that's available. And in Canada, it's starting to have in the major cities, it does exist where we do have a private option. Uh, okay. It took a while. It was more of a, it used to be like, no, everybody gets the same healthcare, but you know, eventually money talks and they're like, yeah, I kind of, I want a knee surgery today. Yeah. And that, it does exist in the, in the larger cities. And, and I think potentially that could free up the public sector doctors to see people more quickly. Absolutely. Right? So, and, it, and then you want to talk about capitalism at its finest. It makes those doctors and those hospitals, not doctors necessarily, but the hospitals and the companies, right? More creative and more, um, they have to be more competitive. Yes. Because now they're competing against a public market. 
Yep. So welcome to capitalism that could actually work in our favor of they need to be competitive because why would you pay extra money for what? It better be a good service that you're willing to pay for. Yeah. It actually generates competition between the government services and the private services. It, it lifts both boats. It, yeah. Because if you don't want to lose all your people to the private, you're going to have to make sure that the, the public option is at least acceptable, you know? Absolutely. It, yeah, I don't know why too many people are so black and white about it. They're both. Why not both? We can have both systems working quite successfully. It's been, it's been well, shown. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, lobbyists out there that don't want that to happen. But I think, again, absolutely. our individual voices, they can be louder. We've proven that, yep. I think, the past several yep. months. So let's do that. <laughs> So one of the, the very pervasive myths that runs through our industry and uh, our culture as a whole is that if we had universal health care, we would change our lifestyle to be more or less healthy. There's a lot of people that seem to think that, well, if we have universal health care, people are just going to go to the doctor all the time and they're going to break their legs all the time because it's going to be a free service. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can tell anybody who's listening right now, that is absolutely not true. Mm -hmm. I haven't changed one facet of my daily life based on how my healthcare is going to get paid for. It, it's, <laughs> I think it's that's great. Good. Example number I, one. No, that's not true. That sounds ridiculous. I Why have universal I... <laughs> healthcare now living in Canada. I have not take, I'm not, uh, I haven't taken up drag racing. I promise. But also like, why would I me being unhealthy and living an unhealthy lifestyle on purpose only <laughs> only hurts me. So I'm not really sure where these arguments are coming from or why. Because I like sure I could go to the doctor, but I'm not I'm not gonna purposely try to hurt myself. That sounds painful and terrible. <laughs> it is so ridiculous. I have a hard time even even speaking about it. Like, that is the the weirdest myth to to perpetuate I, I think it comes down to there's a, a meme or a, a video i saw online where they they talk about re, they they compare car insurance and rental cars mm -hmm. to the health insurance like well if i had a rental car that i knew was going to be covered I, how would i drive it I'm like i'm going to drive it the exact same way to, regardless of who's going to pay for it if i i'm, I'm going to try and avoid accidents regardless right but if i get in an accident that's not my fault I still want it to be covered. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think yeah. that I, I, I think, agree. I think we fully agree here. I think we're, I think we're preaching to the choir here, but yeah. Yeah. But it exists. It, there's so many misconceptions. And I was, I was so excited to listen to your uh, podcast on healthcare because you covered that so well. You would researched you. it so well and you're like, this is, this is how easy it can be if we just vote in our own interests. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. My next episode's on student loans, which is another thing I think we vote against sometimes. <laughs> so uh. that'll be an interesting topic too. There's just, there's a lot of misconceptions and out there about, you know, people being lazy because they have all these student loans and they can't, I don't know. There's a lot of issues in this country about money. I will say that there's a lot of issues and misconceptions about finance in this country and how we go about it. And I just want to say, as someone who has tons of student loans, that 
I could contribute better to this society and potentially buy a house by now if I didn't have student loans as a burden. And I think that for future generations, I'm a big advocate of of you know the collective paying taxes for university. I think we pay taxes for you know um, elementary school and you know middle school, high school. And I think that we could do the same for college as we get into a world where we really need college. It's incredible, including the fact that we work in entertainment, how many entertainment companies, not necessarily the freelance world, but companies that I've applied to were like, well, you need at least a bachelor's. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, a lot of people that I assist who are of a generation above me, they didn't need a bachelor's to do what they do. They just sort of did it, right? Like they were the original roadies, which I think is amazing. And they just sort of went on the road with some 80s hairband and they learned that way and they're brilliant designers. Mm -hmm. But nowadays you need an MFA to even get your foot in the door at some of these big companies. I know Disney specifically requires an MFA and you're like, okay, but that's how many thousands of dollars in debt do I need to go to potentially work at this one company if that's really my dream. So yeah. I think education in this, com- in this country is something that we need to discuss as well. There's so many social topics I am passionate about. <laughs> Those requirements are not unwarranted. Our industry is so much more high tech than even a decade ago. You, you need a networking degree to even be a, a crew chief now. It's... Absolutely. But at what cost? Yeah. I think that's the question is I graduated which, with a $110,000 worth of debt for a BFA. For Bachelor of Fine Arts. Oh, yeah. So we're talking about, okay. And and I will say my college was amazing. It afforded me really beautiful opportunities. It afforded me the network that I really was fortunate enough to have to get where I am today. But it's at this price. It's at a steep, steep price with a lot of, you know, <laughs> tons of interest. So I can never pay it off. And what does that mean for future generations? And what does that mean for the economy as a whole? Because that's really sort of the question in, you know, that senators and people ask. They're like, well, if we give you guys free education, what do you give us? I'm like, well, we actually give you uh, people who want to buy homes and people who want to get married and people want to have children, which, by the way, only helps you, oh, government. So, because <laughs> you actually need people in society to, you know, continue society, right? <laughs> but yeah. a lot of people statistically now are holding off on these big milestone things because we can't afford anything. <laughs> yeah. You get another upstanding, educated citizen mm-hmm. paying taxes, making America great. That's what you get by investing in people. Yes. Oh, I always think if you invest in people properly, you get great people who contribute to you, right? You get a full circle. Exactly. <laughs> that. Yeah. What a, if only it was all that simple. That's, uh, that's, I think that's the, the most simple way of putting it. If, when you invest in people, you get highly investable people. <laughs> well, I think that actually to go back to show site, right. And back to what we do. I also think that relates to what we do too, because I know there's two different types of people on show site. There's the scarcity mentality of like, I will not tell you or teach you anything because oh, yeah. I know what I know. And therefore I keep my job. But I'm always of the abundance mentality of there's enough work to go around. There's always more gigs to be had. There's always more innovation and creativity to be had. And I'm happy to teach anyone what I do because I just believe that people are going to continue to hire me back because 
they have a good working relationship with me because I'm good at what I do. And it doesn't mean that other people can't be good at what they do, what, what they do. But I think that has always served me really well. And has in fact gotten me more work because I recommend people and they recommend, they recommend me. And that's how the cycle goes. Yeah. I, I see that all the time. In fact, uh, pre COVID, the only scarcity I was starting to see was people not able to find enough people to fill gigs. Oh man. Uh, so I was joking the other day with a friend that I've never seen, I've never really seen the industry at its peak because I came into it in the recession. Okay. So, so I never saw it of like these grandiose stories of like, yes, we're going to fly you to Abu Dhabi with like three assistants and there's all this money flowing and it's great. And maybe that's a little exaggerated, but I've never, I'm not fortunate enough to have experienced that. And I think we were just starting to get back there economically right before COVID. Oh yeah. We're like, there weren't enough bodies for the gigs that were being had and people could actually negotiate their rates at such a way that we could actually potentially pay bills. And I thought, I thought that was great. And then COVID happened. And I just hope, cause it is a, a slight fear of mine that clients are going to start saying that we can't get paid what we were getting paid pre COVID because they can't afford it. And I've seen that because I came mm-hmm. into that and I guarantee that you'll never see those rates again for another 10 years if we'd go about that way. So mm-hmm. I do wish to caution our industry as a whole that we, again, even though as freelancers, it's hard to hold our ground because the collective, if we hold our ground and say, no, we do deserve these rates because that is what we were getting paid pre-COVID. That's what you actually agreed to pre, you know, pre this thing, pre this pandemic, then we will actually be able to survive this when we come back. So hopefully, hopefully producers don't put us in those situations, but you know, could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we are almost out of time, but uh, that is exactly what I, the last question I wanted to end on is what are the telltale signs that we have to look, look out for when it comes back to abundance? Like, are, are we going to be forced to stand up doubly for ourselves? Like, no, I won't take, I won't work for half pay, mm-hmm. even though I haven't collected a paycheck in six months, that's going to be a very real struggle. What are the telltale signs that we have to look out for? It's, that's a hard question for sure. I think, you know, potentially being open with your community because we're not the only ones being asked back, potentially talking to other people and being like, this is my rate. Does that sound right to you? And then other people can talk and potentially as a collective, again, we can talk to, to that producing team and be like, Hey, this is not okay. Or you can be like, hey, you know, I talked to X, Y, and Z and, you know, I'm not really about this. Or if you're in a position, of course, to hire crew, make sure that you are advocating for your crew. I'm a big fan of advocating for people who Mm -hmm. you are, you know, you are looking out for. And I think we just, we sort of have to wag our fingers and say, we know how much money that on the producing side, you guys are actually making on this. So Mm -hmm. this is not, this is not appropriate. Yeah. And maybe it needs to be a little bit of that, but I think we more than ever need to be open with our fellow freelancers and say, Hey, you know, I'm getting these emails at this rate. What do you think of this? What should we do? And really come up with a solution that way. Yeah. It's a, it's a very real concern that we should all be aware of that when, when things start to pick up again, there will be people and some of them will be so genuine. They will really, really Mm -hmm. need us to give them a break and help out. There will, there will be people coming like, hey, look, 
I'm selling this venue at a quarter capacity. Can we work out a rate? And yes, we need to be able to, we need to be able to be flexible. Sure. But, but we can't break. We can't break. We got to be flexible, but not break. Yes, I agree. Of course, there's always, right. We're, we're compassionate people. We need to be right. compassionate about the other side, of course. But yes, let's make sure that we are not being abused, you know, like at, exactly you know, for, for some gig where again, we're not saving children. So, yeah, Sammy, I feel like we could talk for another five hours. I feel like we could actually solve some world <laughs> problems if we, if we kept this up for a few hours. Uh, sadly, I'm out of time, but I am so glad to hear that you're, uh, you're over on that side of the, the United States fighting the good fight. And I love, I, I really look forward to hearing your one, your uh, podcast on uh, school debt. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me, Chris.